Okay, this morning we, uh, we begin a, a brand new series that I'm calling Come Alive. In John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, Jesus spoke these, these awesome words, these hopeful words, these encouraging words. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other words, Jesus is saying that, that, that the reason he left all the glories of heaven, and that's some serious awe, and, and put on fragile, frail, finite human flesh and invaded our planet was so that you and I could come alive in him. And, and beginning today, we're going to have three conversations that I am hoping will be exactly what some of us in this room need to hear so that we can come alive in him, so that we can experience that full and abundant life. This morning, we're going to see that in order to come alive for him, we need to see him for who he really is. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about how we need, to, we need to savor his sacrifice and salvation. And then the week after Easter, we're going to talk about if we want to come alive, we need to be striving for his purposes. Now, listen, if we... If we see, if we, if we savor, and if we strive, uh, we will come alive. Get it? Good. Uh, I understand, life and coming alive is what our Jesus is all about. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back that up with a, a few scriptures. Allow these scriptures to feed your spirit. John 1, 4, in him was life. I don't know where you're looking for life in the day. And maybe in money, in your career, in a relationship, in this or in that. But Jesus said, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. In John 6, he said, I am the bread of life. Anybody want some bread? I want some. And I want some honey butter with it too, right? And in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. John 14, 19, because I live, you will live. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Romans 6, 4, we're therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when a bunch of knuckleheads, we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. Colossians 3.13, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he gave us our sins. And listen, coming alive and staying alive, fully and abundantly living, is how our earthly story ends, and it's how our forever story begins and remains. In the final chapter of God's book, he says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing 
of the nations. Like I said, life and coming alive is what our Jesus is all about. And this morning, Palm Sunday 2018, we're going to discover that in order to come alive for him fully and abundantly, we must see Jesus for who he is. But before we go there, I want to share something with you uh, that I read this week or got convicted of this week. And our faith comes from hearing in John 13. You've heard this verse countless times before uh, from me as I stand up here. Uh, Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you If you do them, and the Greek word translated know there is the Greek word ido, and it means to know in your head, right, to have knowledge, right? It's not the Greek word gnosko, right, which means to have a personal intimate knowledge because you're actually living it out in your life. And so what Jesus is saying is that, you know, if you just have a bunch of God knowledge stuck in your head, but you're not living it out, then there is no blessing in that. There's no blessing in simply knowing stuff about Jesus. There's no no blessing in in acing the spiritual SAT, right? There's no blessing in that. There's no blessing until we actually live it out in our lives. You know, and and this this past week, I was convicted of that, and I I wrote in my journal, I I threw my journal page up there, and, you know, if you know these things, and, Lord, I know these things and so many other things, and, and yet I'm not fully alive or living the blessed life to the max. Yes, I know that I'm not. Why? Question mark. You'll be blessed if you do them. The word know is I know. Head knowledge, knowing stuff is not enough. In fact, unless I do them, if I leave them stuck in my head as facts, if my knowing does not move from Ido to Gnosko, hard and personal, intimate knowledge, if I don't do them, I'll miss the blessing. And then I wrote, Dad, so much stuff is just stuck in my head. I don't know about you. I I know so much. I mean, when I think of all that I know from your word that I am not doing, I shudder and I'm blown away. No wonder the blessed life, the full and abundant life so eludes me. I need to just do what you say, knowing no one's not enough, right? No one's not enough. Man, I, I know so stinking much, man. You know, and I need to, I need to move it from Ido to Gnosko. I don't, I don't know about you. And, and, and with Ido and Gnosko in mind, I want to remind you guys of the challenge we ended with last week when we finished up our enemy series with a message called Not Worth Comparing. And I, I threw out a, a six-month challenge, right, that was designed to, to lead us out of our comfort zone, right, to help us to do things that God has called us to do that maybe that we're not doing. And, and the challenge, there's eight things in an envelope. I have some envelopes still here. And, and uh, the challenge was not to do something that you're already doing. And, and, and like your comfort zone, the, how you know you're about to step out of it is because you feel a little bit of fear. So I'm going to throw those challenges up again because it's great to talk about stuff in here every Sunday, right? Just like it's great for me to read my Bible and study, but Guys, if we don't actually do it, then, you know, it's kind of a waste of time. So here's these challenges again. And, and first, we'll make a commitment to read your Bible on a regular basis and ask someone who you know is spiritually mature to hold you accountable with whom you can share what you're learning with. If that's not something you're already doing, maybe that's, it. Maybe that's your challenge. Uh, start a prayer group at work, school. Meet once a week to pray for coworkers, fellow students, 
supervisors, teachers, and for God's kingdom to come to your workplace or to your school. That's a good one. Here's the next one. Start to serve consistently at church, an area that needs help, and that will require both time and sacrifice. Two biggies are always children's ministry and, and youth. Um, invite a different coworker, neighbor, etc., over to your house who does not attend church. Invite them over for dinner at least once a month. Look for opportunities to have spiritual conversations, but do not force it, right? That could be your challenge. Um, serve at least once a month at a local ministry, Salvation Army, local food bank, crisis, pregnancy center, etc. Join a life group at Maple Grove and attend consistently. Determine what 10% of your income is and begin to give it consistently to the church. That's a scary one, huh? Um, uh, pick out a location where you can go on a short-term mission trip and do all that is necessary to make it happen. And again, I, I would encourage you to, to think about those things. And there's like, if you're taking notes, there's a question like, you know, did you take the six-month challenge, yes or no? And will you, right? I, I, I still got two I'm praying over, right? And, and, and so I haven't taken mine yet. So if you haven't taken yours yet, that's fine. But I encourage you, pick out something you're not already doing that makes you a little bit uncomfortable so that you can grow in your faith. All right, does that make sense? Man, I love talking about stuff, right, on Sundays, but the real deal is when we walk out of here, right? If we don't put it into practice, right, right? You go to the dentist, he tells you to floss your teeth, right? If you don't floss between those, those next 12 months, right, it doesn't matter that you knew. You don't go, well, I knew I was supposed to floss, right? It's going to be not a very pleasant cleaning for you. All right. I didn't, I didn't mean to bring that picture to your mind. <laughs> By the way, I'm selling floss after church. <laughs> it's a fundraising opportunity <laughs> okay let's do this week one of come alive seeing him for who he really is uh, and the first point in your notes are is for us seeing him as worthy we read in john 12 beginning at verse one six days before the passover celebration began at saturday night jesus arrived in bethany the home of lazarus the man he had raised from the dead a dinner was prepared in jesus honor Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with them. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made of essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. Well, let that sink in. That's like a lot of money. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And then John gives a side note, not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was charged of the disciples' money, he often stole some of it for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Heavenly Father, um, it's Palm Sunday. Um, uh, Jesus, we're so grateful that you rode into Jerusalem. And, and Jesus, we know that you're alive and that you're here with us. And, and your word is alive. And I pray that we would open our hearts and minds. And God, enable me, Lord, to just honor you this morning, God. So that we leave this place seeing you for who you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So it's Saturday night. Jesus is in Bethany. It's a small village about two miles east of Jerusalem. He was there with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus at their house, along with the disciples. And this group had gathered for one reason only, to, to honor Jesus. And, and the days before this dinner had, had been days full of turmoil and, and energy and excitement, all of which was bringing the ministry of Jesus to its climactic conclusion. In fact, only a few days earlier, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead after being dead for four days, and he, that's where he spoke those incredible words of encouragement to, to Martha and to us. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And, and look three people in the eye and say, do you believe this? Ask them. And if you're sitting by yourself, pull out a mirror and look yourself in the eye. <laughs> and now, as news of this miracle spread, it spread like wildfire. Many people put their faith in Jesus. But the Jewish leaders, they had a different reaction. They called an emergency meeting of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling body. And in John 11, we read this. They said, if we let him go on like this, you know, if we let him keep on healing people, Opening blind eyes, curing leprosy, giving hope to the hopeless, raising the dead. We can't let this stuff go on. Everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Our. Anybody see anything wrong with that? It wasn't their temple, and it wasn't their nation. And so the high priest and his minions decided it was in their best interest to kill Jesus or else they would lose everything they had worked so hard for. And John eleven fifty three 53 says, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. I understand after three years of preaching, teaching, caring, healing, and upsetting the religious elite, Jesus' ministry had reached its boiling point. There are people who loved Jesus, believed in Jesus, and wanted to follow Jesus. And there are people who hated Jesus and wanted to see Jesus dead. And listen, everybody, regardless of, of which side they stood on, knew that something ha- had to happen. They knew that something had to give, even though they're not quite sure how it would all play out. You see, the clock was ticking, the time was at hand. But that's tomorrow. And this is tonight. And and tonight, Jesus is spending time with and having a meal with his closest friends. And they're they're at a table, actually three tables, that would have been shaped like a horseshoe. And everybody would be kind of leaning on their right arm, eating with their left, with their feet pointing outward. And Martha would be serving in the middle. And so they're just, can you imagine, just picture the scene. A lot of conversations going on, right? The guys closest to Lazarus are like, yo, dude, what was it like to be dead? Like, you know, did you see anything? Did you see a bright light? You know, are you going to write a book about it, Lazarus, or a movie? You know, and, 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 and some, some were just jockeying to get the biggest slice of the chocolate cream pie, right? But then all of a sudden, they, they hear something break. And, and all of a sudden, the room they're in is just filled with the smell of this perfume. And they watch as, as Mary kneels at the feet of Jesus and she, you know, she takes that perfume and she, 
pours it out on Jesus' feet, and then she, she dries the feet of Jesus with her hair. It's powerful. It's unexpected. And uh, I wonder what everybody else is thinking in that room. Well, Judas, who knew the price of everything but the value of nothing, seeing what Mary had done and smelling the perfume, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor so I could take some off for myself. (laughs) And I'd expect nothing less from him, right? Uh, But we know from Matthew and Luke that it wasn't just Judas who said that, but so did the other disciples. They said also, hey, why this waste? You see, it was not only decision-making time for the Jewish leaders, it was also decision-making time for those people in the room that night with Jesus. And their actions, reactions would tell them who they really thought Jesus was and how they saw him. And Judas, he did not see Jesus who he was. You see, somewhere, we don't know where, but when it happened, we can't pinpoint the time. We know that it did. It was probably a gradual thing. But Judas, he, he just gave up on Jesus. And there's a lot of speculations why he gave up on Jesus. I think he gave up on Jesus for the same reason the Jewish leaders gave up on Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't the Messiah that they wanted. You see, they wanted a Jesus who was pretty much a cosmic vending machine, right? Put in your coin, turn the lever, and Jesus will give you whatever you wanted. And when Judas put in the coin and turned the lever, he wanted a Jesus who would overthrow the Roman Empire and establish an earthly kingdom where he would be the treasurer, and would have all the power that he craved. And over time, it became apparent to Judas that that would never happen. Jesus would never do those things. So even as they sat at that meal, Judas had already been plotting to betray Jesus. He he thought it was a waste. And, And listen, if Judas was right, if Jesus was just a man, then it... What Mary did was a waste, right? And his response to Jesus was complete rejection. Now, the disciples, like I said, they were in that room too. And Judas sang the verse and they joined in in the chorus. And why did they think it was a waste? Well, see, at, at this time, they didn't really see Jesus who he was. They, they, they were therefore practical men of moderate devotion. I mean, these guys were on again and off again. Their, their walk with Jesus was like, it was like, it was like a roller coaster. You know, at least with Judas, you know where he stands. These guys, you, you don't know, right? You're always wondering what they really think and how they really see Jesus. Again, they said the same thing as Judas. Why the waste? But they said it for a different reason. Judas said it because he rejected Jesus and he wanted to get what money he could before this ship finally sank. They, they, they said it because they were trying to be practical. You know, uh, their devotion to Jesus was moderate at best. Hey, let's honor Jesus, but not, let's not get silly about it. Uh, let's anoint Jesus, but not with, the, not with the best stuff. Let's serve Jesus, but not get crazy about it. And, and unfortunately, this attitude, this mindset still exists today. See, there, there are people who, who still want to be in the room with Jesus, who still want to recline at the table with Jesus, but who still do not see Jesus for who he really is. And like the disciples, when, when they see 
Mary-like, alabar jar breaking, perfume pouring, feet washing, hair drying devotion, they don't get it. They don't understand it, right? You mean you gave up a job promotion that would double your salary because it would take too much time away from church? You mean you bought a new TV or appliance and you gave it to the church? Why don't you buy yourself a new one and give your church the old one, right? I mean, the old one's better than nothing. Why would you give so much time and money to the church? They're not even paying you. Why would someone with your ability, your standing, clean the toilet in the church or vacuum, carpet? You see, the mindset of some is, hey, you know what? I'm not going to let the church take too much of my life. I'll go, but I'm not going to get silly about it. Again, what Judas did, though wrong, still made sense. But what the disciples did, responding to God with moderate devotion, it really doesn't make sense. I understand, it makes sense to be for Jesus, and in a way, it makes sense to be against Jesus, but it makes no sense, and right? I'm going to tell you, it makes no sense to, to ride the fence. It, 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 it makes no sense to only go part way, to, to be lukewarm, to, to live in Laodicea. But then there's Mary. Jesus had been trying for three years to get his guys to understand, hey, there's a connection between the Messiah, the kingdom, and my death. And they couldn't see it. Mary did, right? Mary got it. I don't know if you figured out, if you're married, you know, women are sometimes more perceptive than men, right? Any ladies agree with that? I mean, <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying, okay, ladies, I'll tell you what kind of food I like, right? You know? But I, I, like, for example, uh, a wife can see a problem in a marriage before the husband, what? We got a problem? I don't know there's a problem, right? I, I, I thought everything was good, right? You know? and, and, and they even know. Hey, here's the problem, and here's how, you, how, here's how you fix it. And, and, and see, Mary could see the connection, right? She, she got it. She understood. And, and so what she did was the perfect thing to do, right? I mean, we don't look today and say, I can't believe she did that, right? On this side of the cross, we're like, of course that was the perfect thing to do. Man, if I was there, that's what I'd want to do. I'd want to take a, a, a jar of perfume worth a year's wages and, and pour it out on Jesus' feet. I, I would do that, but she knew then. She knew then. And, and when they began to criticize her, Jesus said, hey, leave her alone. Get off her case. She did that to prepare my body for burial. He says, and what she did will be talked about in the years to come. And here we are, Charles from Virginia, 2,000 years later, talking about what Mary did. Mary saw Jesus for who he is, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and she knew what Jesus was doing. He was going to his death. He was dying for her when he rode into Jerusalem the next morning. And Mary wanted to do something for Jesus, something that would express to him how much he meant to her. And she knew the opportunity to do that was running out, and so she took the most expensive thing she had, an alabaster jar of expensive perfume worth a year's wages. How much are you making a year? And she knelt down before Jesus, 
And she poured it on his feet. And she dried his feet with her hair. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians that a woman's hair is her glory. See, for Mary, no, no sacrifice was too costly. No, no, no service was too demeaning. But come on, isn't it a little extreme? <laughs> I mean, that's a whole year's wages on someone's dirty feet. It isn't a little demeaning and degrading to wash one's feet, and it's certainly gone too far to dry those feet with your hair. Well, it all depends on who's right, right? I mean, if Judas was right about who Jesus was, then, then if you were to take dirty dishwater and wash the feet of Jesus, it, it would be a waste. But if Mary was right, and, and if somehow you could take all the wealth in the world and put that into that bottle and pour it out on the feet of Jesus, it would not be a waste. Amen? You see, to come alive, we, we have to realize who Jesus is and, and that, that Jesus is worth it. That, that you can never give too much to Jesus for it to be a waste. You can never do too much for Jesus to be a waste because Jesus is worth all we are and all we have. He's worth it. He's worth it. What I'm trying to say is this, that you know those times in your Christian walk when you feel like you're spinning your wheels, when people let you down and put you down and disappoint you you know those times when your when your best efforts seem to produce no results you, you know those times when you try and try and try but you're getting nowhere when you feel like throwing in the towel when you feel like stepping out of the race when you feel like you can't go any further when you feel like you've been abused and unappreciated and used just remember Jesus he's worth it He's worth your time. He's worth your effort. He's worth your tears. He's worth your energy. He's worth the frustration. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I, I love this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that the la your labor in the Lord is not what? It's not in vain. You know, when I, when I, well, that was sweet. This morning I, I was at the mirror shave and I took my phone and, yeah, I like to hit Pandora and it's like, okay, hit me with a song that I need to hear this morning. Got my razor and, and you know what song I hear? Nothing is wasted. I go like, are you kidding me, God? Like nothing's wasted. It may feel that, right? But if it's for Jesus, so here, here, here's the deal. If you're pouring yourself out for Jesus, it's never a waste. But if you're pouring yourself out for something other than Jesus, it is a waste. And you're going to feel empty. You're not going to feel full, right? And that's kind of the clue phone, right? I'm pouring myself out and, you know, well, who are you pouring yourself out for? But if you're pouring yourself out for Jesus, it's not a waste. It's not a waste because he's the king of glory, right? He, he's, the, he's the son of God, right? He, he, he's God become man. He, he's the one that loved you enough uh, to die for you. And in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, my life, he's about to have his head chopped off. My life is being poured out. And I'm pretty pumped about it. <laughs> because I know there is a crown of life in store for me and for all 
right? We wait for him to come back and are living according to his calling. And I just want to tell you today in your Christian walk, right, if you're feeling like, you know, it's a waste. I'm tired and worn out. Ain't nothing working right. If you're doing it for Jesus, it's not a waste. Stand firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord for your labor in the Lord is never, 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 never in vain. Amen. Come alive. You got to see Jesus who really is, right? Because then you come alive in your service. You're like, you're like, hey, I don't know if it's working out great here, but I know it's working out great there because my king approves of it. And next thing, we need to see him as the, the promised Savior King. And so Jesus is in Bethany, and word gets out, he's in Bethany two miles from Jerusalem, and everybody's like, oh man, this is crazy. We, we got to go see Jesus, and we got to see this guy who was just raised from the dead, and the city at Passover would swell over to like a million people, kind of crazy, right? And so you have thousands of people in Jerusalem running out, right? They're running out to see Jesus. Jesus is leaving Bethany, and he has thousands of people with them, right? And, and you got the, and all the excitement, and all the energy, right? And, and, and Jesus is riding in on a, on a donkey, on the, actually, the cult of a donkey. And, and when Jesus is riding in, he's making a proclamation. He, he's declaring, hey, you know what? I am the king. I am the Messiah. Because he was fulfilling a prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout. I love how the Bible talks about being loud when you praise God. Right? Because I am so loud, right? And that microphone knows it, right? I keep hiding from it every week, but I still keep showing up on it, right? You know, I like this. You know, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, exclamation point. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, exclamation point. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, see, Jesus was declaring that, you know, that one you've been waiting for, you know, that king you've been waiting for. Well, guess what? That king, that king is me. So you have these people surrounding Jesus and, and thousands of people. And, and Matthew says that the whole city was stirred. And the word stirred there is the word seismos, where we get our, our word seismograph, right? It was just quaking. It was just erupting, right? And, and so they're marching along, and before you know it, people are taking off their jackets and they're throwing them on the ground. And that was a political statement we see in 2 Kings. When Jehovah became king, they took off their coats and declared, that, yeah, you're now my king, and now he's riding on these coats. And, and then people that were in shape began to climb up palm trees, Right? You know, and they're cutting off palm branches and they're, they're laying those palm branches on the ground. And, and then others begin waving those palm branches that, that were a symbol of victory and, and restoration. And as Jesus crests the Mount of Olives, it's 2,600 feet, a half a mile above Jerusalem. He's above the city. He's directly above the temple and all of a sudden, the crowd just cuts loose and shouting, Hosanna! 
which means save us in a few years. No, <laughs> save us now. Save us now. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king of Israel. Hosanna. I mean, Jesus is, he's making his claim. That, hey, I'm the king. I, I'm the promised savior king. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having what? Having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey, in a colt, the foal of a donkey. And Jesus is also fulfilling the prophecy in Zephaniah. I knew you all wanted to come to church to hear about something from Zephaniah, right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't get enough uh, uh, playtime, all right? Here it is. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, uh-huh. Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. Why? Why should I be so excited? If this stuff is true, it's like really good news. And we should be, don't really do it, right? Take it off our coach and throw them down and, and, and find some palm branches to start waving, some alabaster jars to start breaking open. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. And the Lord himself, the king of Israel, will live among you. At last, your troubles will be over. And you'll never again fear disaster. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be, cheer up, Zion, don't be afraid. For the Lord, your God, is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. What a picture. God just singing over you with joyful songs. You see, when we see Jesus for who he is, we see that he's the, he's the promised Savior King. See, Jesus came to save us. And he's king of both heaven and earth. And that means his salvation is it's certain and it's sure. A salvation that should make us shout and rejoice. I mean, it's a salvation where our Savior King takes away our punishment. Okay, I like that. Supersize it. Turns back our enemy, takes away our troubles, calms our fears with his love, where he comes to live among us, where he delights in us with gladness and rejoices over us with joyful songs. I mean, talk about good news. Talk about some palm branch waving, perfume pouring good news. You and I, we desperately needed a savior and Jesus is that savior. You see, we come alive when we, we see Jesus for who he is, that he is the promised Savior King. I, I understand this, this Palm Sunday, Jesus wants you to embrace him as Savior. He, he, he wants you to rest in and trust in his salvation. Uh, uh, our salvation where we're saved by grace. 
A salvation where his blood covers all our sins, right? You know, we can rest, right? It's by grace. We don't earn it. We can trust in it. We don't understand it. We don't get it. But it's a salvation that covers completely our sin. I want to show you a little video I took um, on the snow day as I was walking around the lake. It just reminded me of, of God covering our sin. What an opportunity, right? You know, and it would be like really bad to miss it. Wouldn't it? Our Savior King rides in on that Palm Sunday. People are shouting, right? But how many who shouted and rejoiced in his salvation actually found that salvation? Did you know that Jesus cried on Palm Sunday? Luke is the only gospel writer that tells us about it, that when Jesus looked down on the city and he started weeping, and it's the Greek where he's just sobbing and heaving, kind of like if you've lost a loved one, you know exactly what it's about. And he just says, how I, he's sitting on the donkey. And I, and I don't know if anybody even knew he was doing it. They're too busy celebrating. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace but now it's too late, and only destruction awaits. What a shame it would be to miss it. What a shame it would be for, for you to miss it. You see, you know, to come alive, you know, I really encourage you to reflect on this week, and is we got to see Jesus for who he is, and see that he's, just, he's worth it. He's worth everything. I, I, here, here's what I guarantee you. You're, never, you're not going to get to heaven and say, you know what, Jesus? We need to talk. We're going out to coffee and you're buying. You know what? I served you down there and I've been up in heaven for 10,000 years. <laughs> what a ripoff. I, I cannot believe I wasted so much time on you. I can't believe I gave so much of myself for you, Jesus. What a, you're not going to say that at all. You're going to say, man, I wish I did more. I wish I poured out more. He's worth it. And see him as your promised Savior King. Right? Stop trying to earn your salvation. Stop trying to deserve it. Stop trying to perform for it. And simply accept it. Simply accept it. I don't know about you, but I, I wasn't there at that first Palm Sunday. Uh, there's another one coming, and, and I've already punched my ticket to be there. It's in Revelation 7, and we'll close with this. And this is like true. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on, on their faces before the throne and, and they worshiped God saying, 
Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand up with me? Let's, we're going to say that three times together. And, and, and just like them angels are singing it right now, all right? On three. I mean, let's bring it, y'all. One, two, three. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.